Okay, Bokatov. Um, so we start a new Masacha today, um, Sukkah. And Sukkah is um, five Prakim. It uh, is uh, pretty uh, logically organized, although we might expect uh, to start with a discussion about the mitzvah sitting in a Sukkah. It starts with the actual structure of the Sukkah. For two Prakim deals with the structure of the Sukkah. At the end of the second parak, it actually deals with the mitzvah of sitting in a Sukkah. Um, and then the third pack devotes itself to Lubav and Esrog. And then the uh, fourth and fifth prakim uh, to uh, Hallel and uh, other uh, related topics, as we will see. Um, but the first three are certainly the primary ones in terms of the objects of the mitzvah and the mitzvah, it's mitzvot itself that apply um, on Sukkot. Um, and um, as opposed to Yomo, which because most of it, as we saw, is not relevant nowadays, Sukkah, where there a lot is relevant, where it is totally relevant nowadays, there are a good deal more of Rishonim. Um, uh, there's, uh, like, in terms of a running commentary, other than, uh, other than Rashi and Tosfos, um, you know, there's a Ritzvah Sukkah, um, there's a Ritzvah Yom as well, um, but there also is um, a lot of discussions, again, not that we'll necessarily see it in the Daf, but I might sometimes reference it, um, there's a lot of discussions on the Rift, the Ramban, the Balamor, and actually there are entire um, uh, um, monographs written, not on these two prakim, but on the third parak, on Lulav and Esrog. The Ravid already wrote a Hilchos Lulav, and the Ramban wrote a Hilchos Lulav and Esrog, so Allah of the Arbaminim. So there is a good amount uh, more of Rishonim, as you might expect, on this than on the, than on, um, than on, uh, Yoma. So let's take a look now as, uh, and, uh, we'll begin. Days of Madalas. Sukkah she gavol amalam esim amap sula. A sukkah that's higher than twenty amot is invalid. Reb Yehuda machshir. Reb Yehuda says it's kosher. Moshein gavol asarat fachim, or if it's not, it's not a minimum height of ten fachim. Moshein la shalosh or shlosha shalosh tefanot. If it doesn't have three walls, v'shechamatam megubam isilata. And if the sun in the sukkah is greater than the shade in the sukkah, sula, it is invalid. So we have the three primary criteria. One are about the height dimensions. Um, between 10 Fachim and 20 Amot. The other is the number of walls, a minimum of three, and the other is that it provides shade. Uh, what we don't have, the obvious thing that is missing here uh, is the other dimensions other than height. Is there a minimum in terms of the area or in terms of the width and the length? Um, obviously, we're also not talking about like what uh, materials are good for walls, what materials are good for schach. Um, uh, right, there is actually no mention about the schach either, which is quite fascinating because it's worth mentioning that the last point, that if there's more sun than, than, than shade, is that part of the definition of the schach, that the schach is not able to provide the shade, um, or is it part of a reality of just being in the sukkah? Let's say you have, uh, you know, schach, but in the particular time of day, in the particular way the sun is situated, more sun is getting through than shade. Is it like, oh, well, right now there's more sun than shade, my sukkah's puzzle, or is it more of a question about the quality and the na- nature and definition of the schach? Anyway, those are obviously a lot of issues to be to be discussed. Let's take a look at the Gemara. Tanan Hasam. We taught over there in um, in Erevin, the very first mission Erevin. Um, a mavoi that's higher than 20 amot you should lower um, you don't need to now again um, you, you might remember from when we did Erevin that you have multiple houses open up into courts courts, courtyards courtyards open up into a mavoi which is a like uh, well let's say it this way houses open up into a yard a yard that multiple houses open up into the yard which is the chatzer the yards open up into a mavoi which is a courtyard which to which multiple different yards open up into, and um, in order, although that has that has been well, we're going to be using the uh, whiteboard a good deal for this um, so um, so basically the way it looks is you've got a lot of houses opening up into a yard. Here are your houses. This is your chaser. You have a lot of houses opening up into a yard, and then you have a lot of chasers, and they open up into a maboy. Okay, and a maboy is like an alleyway, like a street, and it's open at one end, right? So the, all these courtyards go in and it goes out, but it's sort of like a, it's like a, de- like a, 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 a dead end. It's a court, as it were. Okay, and the courtyards open up a position, that's your maboy. So it has three walls, it has, it has three walls. Okay, it has walls here, here, and here. It has three walls. This part that opens up into the main street, into the Rishir Rabim, doesn't have a wall. 
if you want to be able to carry the maboy, first of all, you have to do a shituf maba'ot. All the courtyards have to get together and share, like, a loaf of bread. Um, and in terms of the structure to allow you to carry, it has three walls. You need there to be something that signifies a fourth wall. So that's either a lechi, that's either a vertical thing that begins a fourth wall, a vertical post, or it's a korah, a, which is, you know, if you, again, if you do a three-dimensional, This is, these are the walls of your courtyard. The lefty looks like that, and the korah looks like that. Okay, it's some type of a beam on the opening of the doorway. So this beam has to be within 20 amot, and if it's higher than 20 amot, you have to lower it. So a similar idea, similar opening to a mesechet, similar debate that Rebbe Yehuda says it's okay. And that's the issue here by the same way there's a problem about 20 amot being too high for a sukkah, 20 amot is too high for a maboy. Okay, so let's take a look. Maboy shugavo mesim ama yimaeit. If the maboy is higher than 20 amot or the core is higher than 20 amot, it has to be lowered. Rabbi Yehuda, Mayor Rabbi Yehuda says, enot sarich, it's not necessary. So here's the question that we're asked. How is it any different by sukkah? The tani psula that it says higher than twenty is invalid in some categorical way. Why by mabui does it say fix it? Why doesn't it say either by both of them invalid or by both of them say lower it? Why one does it say invalid and the other says lower it? So the gemara says sukkah the oraisa tani psula. Sukkah is biblical. It says it's invalid. Which is rabbinic, it tells you how to fix it. Now, what does that mean? Why should, whether it's biblical or rabbinic, affect whether you say invalid or fix it? So there's a quite lovely Rashi, and Rashi says, because if you look at Rashi, Sukkamidio Raita, I don't even know where to tell you, it's almost exactly opposite where we are in the Gemara. Um, Rashi says, Meaning, the idea, the, the Mishnah is just recording an objective fact. The objective fact is, is that according to the Torah, um, the, uh, a, a sukkah that's too high is invalid. So the mission is just telling you, here is the objective metaphysical reality, if you would, and it's reporting. A sukkah that's this high, from the Torah's perspective, is invalid, pasul. But a mavoy, look at the Rashi, why is mavoy tani takanta? The Rashi says, mavoy, about four lines down, the kum drabanan, dimi deraisa sagilei b'shalosh mechitzot. The whole need is rabbinic. Tani takanta. So lo shayach we need to be lashem psul. The man pasua kolim kinesh dish mishnazu. For he tchilat Torah atal mitzvata. Mabui is not an objective reality that a too high Torah is invalid. The rabbis decided to require a Torah, and the rabbis decided to tell you it's no good if it's too high. So the Mishnah is telling you, is not recording an objective fact that a too high mabwag is, is invalid. It's actually, Rashi says, the Mishnah is actually legislating. It's not reporting on a reality. So a too high sukkah, the objective reality is, is that biblically it's invalid. The Mishnah is just reporting on that reality to you, and it's an objective reality. Psula sort of reflects an objective state of affairs. Objectively, it's invalid. Whereas the Mumbai, the rabbis decided to say they fit to require it. They decided they didn't like it. So they can't say it's hustle now, you know, in terms of some objective statement of fact, because uh, it's up to them to decide what it is. So therefore, what they can do is they can tell you, we don't like it, fix it, but not in some objective reality as a puzzle. Now, again, that's, you know, there's something I think interesting about that. It's sort of like the whole Rav's halachic man idea, you know, about like living this platonic world where the halacha, where halacha creates, you know, objective realities. And it's also interesting thinking about the difference between Doraisa and Dorabaman. So when the rabbis legislate, well, that could also create objective realities post their legislation. Then you do get these halachic realities of things called koras and lechis and, you know, and all of the, uh, half of the, half of the ideas in halacha are rabbinically created ideas. Uh, but nevertheless, there is something nice about thinking about, the, about that idea about like, uh, that the, it's sort of a pre-existing reality, an obje- objective halachic truth, or the idea that the rabbis are just now legislating and creating this requirement. Um, but anyway, it's not a normal idea that we normally carry through in other ways. At, at other times, and Tosos says a much more uh, mundane explanation. According to Tosos, if you say pasul, that makes it very clear that you're not Yotze. If you say fix it, then you start thinking, okay, I was supposed to fix it. But what if I didn't? Maybe, 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 no, no, that's not Tosu's point. Tosu's point is that you might think that the evidence is okay. If you tell me puzzle, I have no question that the evidence is no good. 
possible. It's invalid. Invalid. I'm not yotzeh. But if you say fix it, I can say, all right, you want me to fix it. If I didn't get around to fixing it, maybe the Yevon will still be okay. So we're willing to take that risk of misinterpretation by the Durabanan because it, there's something achieved by using the word yimayid. It, it tells you how to address the situation. So the fact that there's a possible misinterpretation, if it's only rabbinic, we'll, we'll risk it. But by sukkah, which is doraisa, we don't want to risk that misinterpretation. We want to be very clear, so we say pasul. That tells us that question. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say anything a little bit different, but that precise. So does that mean that every time there's a rabbanon, they use the word pasul? No. Universal or? No, 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 no. You mean every time there's a deraisa, use the word? Pasul? I mean, yeah. I mean, rabbanon. No, know, that's what I said. Rashi's explanation is nice conceptually. Um, no, also not. You know, uh, again, none, none of this is consistent. Yes. Um, so it's, the Gemara never actually says we'll get to it later is there a common reason to lead to the debates I mean it's very suggestive that there's a common right. reason right. the fact that it both both is the same requirement 20 Amot and in both cases Rabbi Huda disagrees it certainly suggests that there's some common source of their debate of the, of the requirements and of the debate um, but we're not, we're not saying that yet but it is worth pointing out and this is the issue that Anish I wanted to make that all, many many Mesechtot Open up with um, what is some Scott, based on a, a letter of Rav Shiragon, um, many scholars believe is Savoreic, meaning that the opening is not from the time of the Gemara was finalized, but immediately post that. Um, but whether it's Savoreic or not, whoever was you know did it, there's a tends to be a common quality in the opening so you have a Gemara, which is. Number one, you don't have named statements of Tanaim or whatever. It's all Stam. It's talking about other Nishnayot. It's like playing with, you know, them, but it's not, there's no new statements that are being made. And the focus tends to be often on more side and technical and often linguistic issues. Like if you think about the opening of Kedushin, it takes a whole long time discussing why did it say, you know, nicknames as opposed to, as opposed to, you know, the Russian of Kedushin. And why does it speak about the woman rather than the language of a man? And why is it Russian Zachar or that Russian Nikema? And da da da. So anyway, so that tends to be a common opening of a Masechet. Maybe it's just a way of like easing you into it. But the other thing it sometimes achieves is it introduces you to certain concepts that are going to play out as the Masechet continues. So uh, here, for example, it's not doing so much. It's actually quite a short masechet, uh, sh- a short opening, but what it does introduce you to is this idea, which is worse, which is like, anyway, like, oh, wow, that's fascinating. Both Sukkah and Erzin open with essentially the same Mishnah and essentially the same debate. Sukkah higher than 20, uh, 20 Amot, no good. The Buddha says good. Mabwe higher than 20 Amot, no good. The Buddha says is good. So first of all, this is fascinating that they open in the same way. Mm-hmm. And it also it raises the question, is there some relationship of these debates? That's issues that we're going to look at later. But this is like a classic opening with that. Let me just read the next two lines about uh, finishing up this introduction. It says, uh, so one answer is Doraisa Durabanan, and the other answer is, Levi Seim, if you want, I'll say, Doraisa Nami Tami Takanta. By, by a Doraisa, you would also say ways of fixing it, and maybe you'll say by Durabanan, you'd also say Pasul. This is not really a difference that is consistent. Miu Sukkah, some have the Nefishin Mile, that has, would take a lot of words. Pasik Vatani Psula, it makes it shorter and to the point, Pasul. Mabli, the low Nafish Mile, by the Mabli case, it doesn't take a lot of words to explain it. Tani Takata tells you how to fix it. What does it mean? Because if we were to tell you how to fix this situation, by the mission we're dealing with, with three problems, or four problems. You'd have to say, if it's too high, lower it. If it's too low, raise it. If it has too much shade, add, add more schach. If it has too few walls, add extra walls. So it's, uh, just give the whole list and say puzzle. Whereas by Mabwe, it's only telling you one scenario. It's only talking about the scenario of um, too high. So there, it can tell you how to fix it. Following the general rule that we, you know, which is also in the opening Sugim Sakim, is that uh, you always try to teach in a short, you know, concise manner. So therefore, yes, we'd like to tell you how to fix it, but if it's going to require a whole laundry list, we're just going to say Pasul. So if you had a question. Well, I just wanted to know, from, particularly from what, the way you emphasize things, it always seemed to me that the, so to speak, Sabaraic openings of the Masechtos provide a kind of paradigm that became Tosafot. In other words, Tosafot really was the medieval sort of approach to comparing sukkahs and trying to resolve underlying... Uh, yeah, <coughs> that's, that, that's true, but, um, but first of all, um, you, I mean, you know, 
I, I wouldn't limit it to the Severaic opening. I would say that that's what the Gemara is. Meaning, I think, well, you know, many, many years ago when I was in class I, with Dr. Chaim Salvechik, he basically said, what the Gemara did to the Tanaitic material that preceded yes, it, yes, Tosos yes. did to the Amoraic material, right. you know, and it basically is. You look around, you, you seek out parallel sugyot and contradictions, and you then try to resolve them. But it's not limited to the opening. I mean, the whole discussion at the beginning of, uh, you know, Kiddushin, which is, uh, which is, why did it say Drachim as opposed to Nikeva, whatever that, I mean, that's not a classic sugyot, no. All right, anyway, so let's take a look. Minani Mili, now we get to the meat of the issue. What's the basis of this, of the 20 amount requirement? Where's this all coming from? And like now in the back of our heads should also be a question, is it a specific sukkah issue or is it something that's similar to sukkah and mabwai? Because whatever answer you give, if it's local to sukkah, you're going to have to give another answer by mabwai that's going to lead to the same type of a conclusion, right? So already, I think by just even giving this little introduction, it probably will make us want to find some explanation that could be shared by sukkah and mabwai. Although, the, f- the first series of explanations are all very unique, very particular to Sukkah concerns have nothing to do with Mabwe concerns. So let's take a look. Where does this come from? Amar Rabba, Damar Kra, the verse says, That you, in order that the future generations should know that I caused B'nai Israel to dwell in Sukkot. Until 20 Amos, you're aware you're living in a Sukkah. Higher than you're not aware that you're, dealing in a, you're living in a Sukkah. Why? Because your eye doesn't see it. Now, what doesn't your eye see if it's too high? It sees the wall. It doesn't see the schach. And this introduces us to a key point that we're going to have to know for all of the Masechet, that just the word, by the way, sukkah and schach, um, is that uh, for Chazal, the ikar of the sukkah is the schach. So, um, you know, anything that verse that refers to sukkah is going to be assumed to be referring to the schach aspect of it, not the walls. Um, and we will see how that will play out. So, for example, look at the last wide line of Rashi at the top, five, four lines from the top. Rashi says, the al shem haschach kriyasukah. Well, it's a the but it's basically the last five words before the Gemara begins in Rashi. And I don't want to do the whole Rashi, but it just says al shem haschach kriyasukah. You see that the five mm-hmm. words in Rashi before the uh, Gemara in the Rashi. Okay, so the basic idea that sukkah and schach are going to be seen as equivalent. So obviously there are requirements of walls, but the ikar sukkah is the schach. So therefore, if it says you should know that you're living in a sukkah, for the Gemara, at least for Rava, what that means is, you should, Rava, you should know that you are under schach. And if it's too high and you have to crane your neck until you can see the schach, then you are not aware that you are under schach, and that is a problem. So Laban Yidu Dorotechem for Rava does not just become like the historic, the meaning of, the historical meaning of the mitzvah, but it actually becomes a requirement in how the mitzvah is done. The mitzvah must be done in a way. Leman you do kibatsukot, not necessarily in the past kibatsukot oshafti, but leman you should know right now that you're dwelling in a sukkah. Now you could say what it means is how do you achieve the awareness of the past historical event? It's triggered right. by the fact that you're aware that right. you're sitting in a sukkah. Yeah. So you could say the puzzle doesn't leave the plot. He's just saying you can't get to the historical awareness until you're aware that you're sitting in a sukkah. But Rashi and the later Gemara make it sound that he's actually reading the verse a little differently. That Ramani, future generations must know Kiba Sukkot Hoshafti, sort of a little, it's a little hard to fit into the grammar, but they must know that they're sitting in a sukkah. And therefore, they have to be aware that they're under the schach. Yeah, I think it's a little ironic. First of the explanation that the uh, sukkah can get on any kavod. You kind of think of calls being kind of high up. I suppose it was like a real bull that can understand it. All right, well, we'll worry about that later, about the whole anane kavod aspect and, and the height and how yeah, it ties in. I do. We'll worry about it later. But the issue about the height and does it tie into the issue of anane kavod and so on. You'd have to translate the Mishnah here, then. Uh, a structure that supports schach, that is, why? Actually, quite the opposite. Rabbah could be reading it if the schach is higher than 20 amos. Because for him, right, imagine, schach, imagine that right. you had low walls, but you had a schach that was separated from the walls. Right? right. right? So actually, according to him, the word sukkah could specifically mean it's the schach. And that, by the way, right. is a question, both in terms of the minimum height and the, and the maximum height. Are we measuring interior height or exterior height? Is the thickness of the schach included? Is that clear? My yeah. question here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so right? Thickness to the if you've got, you've got, 
right? When we say 20 amos, or we say 10 tzvachim, you measure it from the outside, is that exterior height or interior height, right? Yeah. So that's a good question. Is it that the schach can't be higher and the bottom of the schach, top of the schach? Don't worry, we'll have all that fun discussion there. All right. So let's take a look. The first answer is you, the schach has you have to be able to has to be easy, has to be you know reasonably easily visible. And if it's too high, you can't see it. You won't naturally see it. Um, okay. Ravzera um, Amar, Rabbi Zera says the following verse. The sukkah, now again, this is not the sukkah of, uh, of the mitzvah, it actually is a, um, is a more um, uh, eschatological vision. Do we have a... <laughs> Otherwise I'd have to take out my iPhone. <laughs> so, this is actually interesting. The reason I'm looking at the pasuk is A, so you should be aware that the Pshavah of the Pasuk is not the Sukkah of the Mitzvah, but B, also, talk about introducing themes. To what degree is there a, you know, the whole Sukkot, as you know, the whole Yemot HaMashiach uh, type of, uh, you know, a theme is going on there in many ways during Chag HaSukkot, um, certainly in the Haftorot, and to what degree is there a sense of that connected to the Sukkah as well? We do find that um, in some of the Tanaim, uh, Rabbi Akiva in particular, anyway, so let's take a look here at this Pasuk in Yeshayahu. It says, um, so it's clearly a Yemot HaMashiach thing okay right so the whole you know everything will be uh, the, the fruit everything will be amazing you know um, um, it'll be a honor and glory Everybody who remains will be holy. So, by the way, that's evoking, of course, the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim on all of the mountains of Zion, right? A, you know, a cloud by, of the day and a fire at night, right? The Sukkah. All of the glory will be a chupa, will be a uh, canopy. And this covering, this protection, this shade will be for shade in the day from the heat, and from protection from the rain. So it's quite a significant quoting this pasuk, connecting it to the sukkah of the mitzvah, but also this pasuk which evokes a messianic period and evokes also as Michael was mentioning the Anan right and the whole thing that we're going to be introduced to Sukkah Anane Kavod so at some so if you are know your Tanakh like you should because you don't open a Gemara until you spend Master Tanakh and then Master Mishnah so you, of course you know anytime they're referencing a Pasuk the context you are already familiar with the fact that we're bringing in here connecting the Sukkah Mitzvah to a Messianic vision of God's protection right God protected us when we went out of Egypt and now there's this Messianic vision of God's protection which uses the word Sukkah and evokes the whole sense of the Anan so that's quite powerful already in a subtle way introducing that now how is that relevant to this question of 20 amot. So let's take a look. To appropriate a classic Sephardic approach to Jewish education and assume that all Ashkenazic Jews learn Tanakh and then... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they're supposed to do. Right okay, fine. Okay. 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 Up till 20 amot. Adam you are getting the shade of the sukkah, um, and the sukkah here has to provide shade. That's what we see from this. The schach has to provide shade. Higher, you're not getting the shade of the schach. You're getting shade of the walls because the walls are so high. So the walls are the ones that are shading the area below them, and not actually the schach. Now, that is going to be challenged. Let's take a look. Amalei Abaye, Abaye said, Elameata hosa sukkato ba'asherot kanayim hachinami duahavi sukkah. You make the sukkah between two high mountains. Are you going to tell me it's not a sukkah because the mountains are already shading the area, the valley in where the sukkah is built? So Amalei, so Rabbi Zeyr said back to Abaye, no. Hatam there, dal asherot kanayim, if you remove the mountains, Iketzel sukkah, the schach is still providing shade, meaning in terms of the, as the Abrisha would say, the chetzah of the sukkah, in terms of, if you took a look at the sukkah on its own, the sukkah is constructed in a way that the schach is able to provide shade. Hacha here, dal defanot, even if you removed 
the walls, lekat sel sukkah, you don't have the shade of the chak. What you could have said is here, it doesn't matter where you put it, wherever you put it, it won't provide. But it even goes one step further. Even if you were to remove the walls, it would not provide shade. Why? Because if something is so high up, right, then presumably, I don't know, we need a physicist to tell me if this is true, but presumably if it's a small square of schach, extremely high up, then the sunlight is going to get, unless the sun is directly overhead, but in all other times when the sun is directly overhead, when there's any really? angle, then the amount of shade it provides is tiny, and, the, and then there's direct sunlight, which, or indirect sunlight, anyway, which, which so there would the actual the schach, regardless of the walls, it's not because the walls are, are, are shading the area. The schach isn't providing shade even without the walls. That's the argument. Now, of course, you might say, doesn't it matter how, 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 what the area of the schach is? Like, if you have very, you know, very, you know, very long and, and wide schach. So the Gemara will get to that. But this is the argument that the schach is situated in a way that even if the quality of the wood and the bamboo is a quality that would block out sun, the reality is, is that in no circumstance, again, maybe except when it's directly overhead, which is being discounted, you know, and maybe it's never exactly directly overhead, in no normal circumstance does it actually effectively provide shade, does it have the ability to effectively provide shade. Okay, and that's the invalidity. Again, the invalidity of the schach. Both of the two answers so far focus on the schach. Yes? I don't know if this is relevant, but when I this stuff in, make walls out of sheets, right? Right. Like sheets, right? Right. So when the sun's first coming up, I never really thought about it. From the east, it's actually coming in directly. Right, so that's true. Any sukkah, any sukkah, there are times of the day that it's not providing shade because the sun, the angle of the sun, you know, the right. sun, it's not, and there are times of the day that the walls are providing shade, but presumably, again, you know, under a large amount of circumstances during the day it is providing shade as opposed to this which it basically never provides shade okay effectively never um, but it is true that even in normal sukkah it's not that the schach is you know sometimes it's the walls that are doing it not the schach um, and without the walls you would have su- it would be it would be sunny inside your sukkah right right exactly but the point is that as a general rule though the schach does provide shade you know over the course of the day in a, in a non-insignificant way um, okay. The Rava Amar Mehacha. So that was Rabbi Rebizera. Rava says from here, Basukos Teshuvat Yamim. Dwell in Sukkot for seven days. Amar Torah Koshi was a Yamim. Same as Yiras Kevav Shave the Yiras Aroi. For all seven days, you have to allow in the Sukkah. I Meaning he sees the word Sukkah as an implicit contrast to, to the idea of your house. So he, the point of this is, and this is introducing another key theme of the Masechet, that Sukkah is conceived of as a dirat arai, as a temporary structure. Okay, and to what degree are there certain requirements that uh, that insist that it be in a certain way, so it not be a permanent structure? Um, so that's what Rav is introducing. <coughs> Sukkah fundamentally is an idea of leaving your house and therefore fundamentally an idea of a temporary structure. And So you know what? Up till 20 amot, you can make the, the nature of the structure can be temporary. If it's so high, you know, you need to have strong walls or whatever to get up that high. So it's not made, it's not a temporary structure anymore. It's permanent and therefore it's invalid. So Amalei Abayi, Abayi said, and by the way, Rava structurally. By the way, Rava is the first one that's requirement is more about the, the, the whole structure and not just the schach. Rabbi and Rabbi Zayir, it was very much about the schach. Amalei Abayi, Abayi said to him, Elamiyata, Asam Luchitos Shabarzo, Vesicha Chagava, Machanam Galavi Sucha. What really in practice it has to be temporary? So if I made a normal dimension sukkah, but I used di- metal walls. Are you telling me that that's not good because it's permanent? Mm-hmm. Let's say I made, let's say I went out. It's actually a good question. I went out after Yom Kippur and I got my brick and mortar and I built for myself a nice little hut made out of brick and cement and put schach on top. Are you going to tell me that that's a diras arai and not a diras keva? So Gemara said, I mean, it's, I mean, that, that's a diras keva, not a diras arai. So let's see what his answer is. Amalei, hachi kamino This is what I'm saying to you. Until 20 amos, it's possible to make it divas right. It has the dimensions of something that can be a temporary dwelling. So even if you use the materials that make it a permanent dwelling, 
but higher than 20 amot, that those are the dimensions that normally are, on, are only dimensions for a permanent structure. Under 20 amot, our dimensions could be permanent, could be temporary. Higher than 20 amot normally is the only dimensions you would give for only for a permanent structure. And in that case, even if you made a house out of straw, like the, you know, like the three little pigs, and you made it higher than 20 amot, you would not be say. which basically his answer is, is that yet the requirements of temporary versus permanent are said in terms of like most of halacha in terms of quantifiable issues in terms of in terms of the dimensions and not in terms of the building material so the building material is not the discussion the way this translates halacha is in terms of the dimensions dimensions of a diras keva versus dimensions of a diras arai now what's of course worth thinking about for a moment before we turn the page is are you telling me that there's no concept of practically making it a diras keva even because it, you know, because in the scenario I gave, I go out and I build for myself a you know with brick and mortar or you know four walls and I put schach on it. So isn't that a dirus keva? So your response is no, it's not a dirus keva. You know, it's a schach is dirus arai. So let me ask you another question. Let's say I go out and I um, and uh, I build myself these, this brick structure and then I take some planks of wood and I put them up as the roof. And I uh, nail them in. I'll be very firm. I'll only I'll nail them in with wood nails. Okay, but anyway, why do I use metal nails? I plaster it. Anyway, the plaster is the you know, most of the the wood. It's the planks that are providing the schach. I have a little puzzle schach. I got some plaster, but whatever. I got a nice permanent wood roof. Okay, I go and I build a barn with a good strong wood roof. Am I yotze? Doraisa? Is that is that a sukkah? I mean, you know, it's the right it's the right materials. So, is there a practical definition? of keva that relates to the schach that cannot exactly be quantified but that actually is invalid if I make the schach in a way not about where is this, what, what material it's from and not about you know, it's, you know any of the normal quantifiable things but is there a way in which I say that if you made your roof in a way that it's keva then that's no longer a sukkah that's a house how do I know you just didn't go out and build yourself a new house? What defines it as a sukkah? So if you take a look at Tosfos, um, Tosfos says like this, it's, I'm just going to skip to, the, the, right before the lines get wide, the end of the, lo- of the narrow line, Tosfos ki avid, okay, Tosfos says, you could go ahead and put in, uh, you know, uh, uh, planks with, with, uh, with nails, that no rain will come in, and will that be okay? And then there's a whole question if rabbinically it's okay, Okay, but his question is biblically, would that be okay? And Tosa says, so um, so Tosa says like this, Ubeso, I'm skipping down like five lines, which the word starts the word basi, Ubeso Varipasumi Doraisa. Why didn't you just use if you let's say your house has a wood roof, just use your house. No, that's clearly no good. But that's no good because it's your regular house. But can you build yourself a new house with a wood ceiling? So he says, the Yeshlo, Mark again, I'm skipping about two lines. Uh, the walls that can be made out of brick and there is the point again sukkah is defined by schach schach and sukkah the sukkah is not made valid until it's made temporary now he doesn't tell you what that means I mean I'm using kosher schach I'm using wood I'm using planks okay so you, but you know what figure it out Okay, mm-hmm. somehow it gets to a point I where you can't quantify it. You can't quantify it, but now we're dealing with a permanent roof. And if the roof becomes permanent, then he says that really would be invalid. And one of the points he did also is making that I sort of skipped over is because we were joking around, it's now snowing out and sleeting, and you know, rain is a simon klol of the chag. So it says it's a simon klol of the chag, that it's only true if it means that the sukkah has to be able to let rain in. If it's possible to make a sukkah that's impervious to rain, then why should it be a simon klol of the chag? So Tosus actually, one of the things Tosus is saying that we, I, I glossed over is one of the definitions is it cannot be impervious to rain. Okay, so schach, we talk about being able to see the stars. Tosus says actually if the schach can let rain in, then it's a permanent sukkah, and that's not valid. Okay, so very interesting, although we tend to quantify the issues by the walls, since the ikar sukkah is the schach, we're actually saying that the Tosa is saying that the schach actually, maybe not in a quantifiable way, but it cannot be a permanent roof. 
And one of the issues uh, with uh, phytosis is it has to be able, it can't be impervious to rain. Okay, so let's keep on continuing. Although the irony is that, as those the beginning, those pointed out, the verse I read you from Yishayahu said, Tukatiel itzel yoma mechorev, and in the end of the verse is, and from the rain. <laughs> so, okay, so anyway, so most of the rain keeps out. Now, let's start the Yamad Bet. So now we got these three explanations. Two about the Schach, one about the Sukkah. Kulu karaba lo amri. Everybody did not say like Rabba, the idea that you have to be able to see that you're sitting under Schach. Hahu yidil adorasi. That's about, yeah, that's about the purpose of the mitzvah is to be aware of what God did. That's not telling you a requirement of how you have to sit, that, you're see, that when you're sitting in a sukkah you have to be able to see the schach or be aware of the schach. It's not shout of the puzzle. To Rebbe Zera, Nami Loam, we have a Rebbe Zera that says it's an issue about providing shade, too high to provide shade. As I was saying, that's a messianic verse, but fundamentally the schach, although again, you know, if you, let's say you could, nobody I think would debate, if you could find schach that grows from the ground that's translucent, there's got to be something that grows from the ground that's translucent, okay, could you use that for schach? So presumably nobody disagrees with the fact that the schach has to have the quality of blocking out the sun. That's why it's called schach. But just because it's situated too high to do it in practice, that people don't, that they say, that's, you know, you can't prove that from this verse about the Mashiach. This verse about the Mashiach says in practice the sukkah provides shade. We don't need the, that, but that's messianic, and that's not talking about the sukkah of the mitzvah. In practice the sukkah doesn't have to provide shade. The schach has to have the quality of blocking out the sunlight. But in practice, a sukkah of the mitzvah does not need to actually block out. I said, did I say block out shade? You know what I mean. Does not have to actually block out the sun. Does not have to actually provide shade in practice. If it's too high, too bad. Okay, so that's why they didn't say like Reb Zera. Reb Zera, Reb Zera would say back. In Cain, If it didn't want to tell you something about the mitzvah sukkah, it should have used a different word. It should have used the word chupah. And we, by the way, because I read you the pasuk, now know that the verse right before used the word chupah. So it's a reasonable point. My the sukkatia would tell your mom, why does it use the word sukkah? To tell you something about Shmatminatarti, a messianic vision, but use the word sukkah to tell you something about the actual sukkah of the mitzvah. Okay, so that's his response. But the rabbi, uh, but everybody else is not convinced. So basically, yes, the schach, again, what I said, nobody presumably disagrees that the schach has to have the quality to, cr- to block out the sunlight, but if where it's situated and the height in which it's situated, it's not doing it in practice, that's not an issue. Um, okay. Kirava Nami Loami. How about Rava's explanation, which wasn't about the schach, but was about the definition of a dirasarai? They don't say that. Because of a bias question about brick walls or, or metal walls. So they think that, you know, you're not going, even if Sukkah conceptually is a dirasarai, that's not going to translate into mandating building material or into mandating dimensions. That's not part of the definition. Okay. So we have the different opinions and we have their various weaknesses. Kiman, uh, or you know the various reasons why they were not, why they were, why you know why they weren't fully accepted. Kiman Azahadam Reb Yosha. How does who, who according to whom does the following statement of Reb Yosha go? I'm a Rav in the name of Rav. The whole debate in the Mishnah is if the walls don't go all the way up to the schach. There's like a gap to let in the air. Whatever with little pegs at the end, but the basic walls don't go up to to reach the schach. Okay, aval the funnest megias l'schach, but if the walls reach all the way up to the schach, a few amalimets memakshera, everybody would say it's kosher. So for whom should that make a difference? So Mar says, "Keman kiraba." That makes a difference, like raba. The amar mishum dulo shalta ba'ena. The problem is you're, you 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 don't see the schach. Um, the funnest If the walls reach the schach, mishut shalit ba'ena. You look all the way up. Your eyes will follow the wall till it sees. You know, it's naturally drawn towards the intersection of the wall and the roof. But if where the wall ends, there's a gap, you know, and, and, and you're not going to start craning your neck to see the schach. You might naturally look at the end of the wall and where the, you know, where the wall intersects, but if that's air, you'll stop there. If it, it's, uh, but if it doesn't, if it, but it goes straight up to the schach, you're going to keep on looking until you see the schach. I think, I think okay. it makes a difference if you're What? I, I honestly would think it makes a difference if you're your ceiling. Uh, all right. Anyway, so basically, but it cannot be relevant to the idea that of whether it's temporary or permanent. Who cares, right? Again, you know, temporary or permanent. Uh, however high it is, you know, whether the walls reach the schach or not is going to demand certain types of a permanent structure. And it can't make a difference in terms of the issue about whether it provides sunlight or not, okay? Whether the schach has a quality, I mean, whether it provides shade. So this is only works if it's the issue about being, a, being seeing the schach. 
Kiman Azla Hadam Rav Now here's another qualification of the debate, and let's see which one model this fits into. Rav, who, how does it go with the statement of Rav Huna in the name of Rav? The debate is only when it's a very small sukkah. It's no bigger than four amot by four amot. If it's more than four by four, even if it's higher. Now, who should that matter? If it's a concern of a permanent structure, so it's actually, in some ways, has to be maybe more permanent if it's bigger. If it's a concern about seeing the schach being a little bit bigger than four amot, should it matter about whether you do see the schach or don't see the schach? The schach is too high. You won't naturally see it. So who does it matter like? It only can make sense according to Rebbe Zeirah. It's the question of the schach's ability to provide shade or in providing shade in practice. The Kivan de Ravicha, since it's very wide, even if it's very high, it provides shade. And that, as I mentioned before, you understand, right? If I've got a tiny little square of schach, four almost by four or smaller, super high up, sunlight is going to get under it. If I've got a huge expanse of schach at the same height, Right, it will, you know, it will block out, you know, then it will block out some of the sunlight, it will block out some of the rays. Now, of course, the point is, yeah, but first of all, shouldn't it also matter how high it is? And shouldn't it matter, shouldn't it be proportional to the dimensions of the schach, right? So if it's 10 by 10, the schach, then it could be 20 amos high. If it's, if it's 20 by 20, then it could be 25 amos high. If it's 30, you know, there should be like a whole chart based on how big the schach is, how high I'm allowed to go. So Tosa says, at one point Tosa says, maybe that's true. Maybe according to this approach, as the schach gets bigger, you know, different degrees of height, you can go higher. We're not exactly spelling it all out. But once it's more than 4 by 4, you can go higher than 20 amot. If it's, I don't know, 10 by 10, you maybe go higher than 25 amot. Maybe that's true. Then Tosos has another answer, which is probably the more standard rabbinic answer to this. If you take a look at Tosos, which is, and this, I'm mentioning this also because it ties us back to Yoma. So Tosos says, um, uh, and then, so you see the Tosos Yesh. So go about eight lines down, the line starts with the word Yesh Loma. It would always be proportional. The wider the schach, the greater height you're allowed. Even if you made a thousand amos, once it's four by four, you're going to get a little shade. Once it's four, once it's four, less than four by four, you only have up to 20 amos. More than four by four, it could be a thousand amos. Why? So he says, Once you get the right minimum amount, you have a koseves, the size, right, of a pressed date, then even if it was og melchabash and ate it, it would, it would make a difference. But a little less than that won't make a difference to anyone. So basically, the basic answer is, yeah, the rabbis have to set numbers, and it doesn't always work. <laughs> not, that's not what those say. Those say they knew it always worked, but the point is, you need to quantify, you need to set numbers, even if at a certain point, the logic, you would demand, you would think you would demand something that would be more proportional. Okay, so now what we have is the qualification of the debate. If it's about seeing the schach, it's only a problem if the walls don't reach the schach. If the walls reach the schach, you'll naturally go up and see the schach. And the other possible qualification is that if it's about whether the schach is providing shade in practice, then if the schach, if the sukkah is bigger than four by four amot, even if it's very high, it will be five shade and it would not be a problem. Okay, so now we continue. Kiman Azla how, who does it go the, the statement of Rav Khan Baraba Amarav in the name of Rav the whole debate is only if it is literally the minimum size sukkah it only can fit your head and your bo- most of your body and your table now you, you're probably saying what do you mean the head and most of my body once my head is in I'm sitting up I've got most of my body that's because you eat sitting up but if you eat reclining, <coughs> right, then it's not enough to say it can fit your head. It's got to be able to fit your head and most of your body and your little tray table, not a big table, your little tray, and that's a minimum size. That size, the more later, is going to say is about seven tfachim by seven tfachim. Okay, so it's about one sixteenth of, is that right? Four, four amot by four amot. A tefach is about amot. So four amot by four amot. This is basically going to be the debate. Oh, I know. I'm rounding. This is going to be the debate of what's the minimum size of a sukkah. Some say four amot by four amot. An amot is, uh, is about 18 inches. So that's about six feet by six feet. That's about 36 square feet. Okay? And the other says 
seven tefachim by seven tefachim. Now a tefah, six tefachim is an amma. So if you just think, if you just round it to an amma, that's one sixteenth of the size. Right? Four amas by four amas is sixteen square amas. One by one, so it's one sixteenth of the size. So if a tefah is about three inches, so it's twenty-one, I don't know, even call it two feet, that would be about four square feet. It's not a 60, whatever, because I rounded it. Anyway, fine. So, three to, you know. Well, if they do an Amma is Bachamisha or Shisha, yeah. who knows? Anyway. Okay, the point is that it's very tiny. So, who is this going like? Come on, Azza, Hadamar, Abhanabar, Rabbah, Marab, Machok, Sajin, Machzekas, Kadei, Rosha, Rosha, once it is more than the size, the absolute minimum size, Afilu, Lamal, Measim, Amak, Shera, even higher than 20 Amot is Kasher. Who is that going like? Command the Lokachat, not going like anyone. <laughs> it doesn't fit any of our three models. Now, the funny thing is, you could say it fits the shade model. It just is dealing with different dimensions. As we've already said, if your problem is the schach providing shade when it's too high, if the schach is bigger, it's less of a problem. So it could be, as opposed to the other one that said four, four amot by four amot determines whether it'll provide shade when it's very high. This one says bigger, you know, seven fucking by seven fucking. You could have said that, but the Gemara doesn't buy it. The Gemara thinks that if you want it to provide shade that high, just a little bigger than seven fucking isn't going to do it. You know, if you say more than four amos provides shade that high, I'll believe you. So this idea that says once it's more than the absolute minimum, seven by seven, says it doesn't go like anyone. So Tosa says, okay, so then what's the logic behind it? So Tosa comes up with an interesting logic. He says, if you have something that tiny and that, and that high, he says, you can't call it a sook anymore. You would call it a chicken coop. That's what Tosa says. Rule shall turn to golem, right? So you'd call it like, uh, you, you, nobody would call it. it, it it's it's funny. If it's small and short, right? If it's small and short, you could say it's a very tiny house. Okay? It's a Manhattan Studios, you said. But if it's tall, short, and that tall, it's like an absurd structure, and it no longer even counts. All right. Anyway, so that's another possibility to limit the debate. Now the Gemara says like this, uh, wraps this up. It makes sense that Yoshia's statement about whether the walls meet the schach disagrees with the statement about the minimum, about, you know, arguing that, the, that, that what makes the difference is the minimum area. The Inuka they're saying that it's about making a difference in terms of the dimensions. The Inuka Yoshiur Bemishka, length, or, um, so, and they're not giving, I have no idea, maybe. And they're not giving, and he's not talking about dimensions, he's saying the difference is whether it reaches the schach, and they're talking about the dimensions. But the debate of, you know, is it more than, you know, is, uh, you know is, that is the 20 amot a problem when it's more than 4 by 4 amot, when it's more than Rosh Hashanah, maybe they're not really debating what the nature of 20 amot is. Maybe what they're really debating is what the minimum size of a sukkah is. They both agree that the debate is limited to a minimum size sukkah. And what they're disagreeing with is what the minimum size sukkah Mar savar hechshes sukkah ba'arba mot. One says a minimum sukkah is four amot. Umar savar hechshes sukkah b'machzeches rosh v'rubu shulchano, and that it's five rosh v'rubu shulchano. So as opposed to before, where we said the debate is what the problem of twenty amot is, and you know, does that, uh, here they're saying maybe we'll figure out what the problem of twenty amot is. But the basic thing that's going on here in their debate is what's the minimum size of a sukkah? That they have a mesola that the issue of being too high is only a problem in a minimum size sukkah, and they're debating what is the minimum size sukkah. So the Gemara says, no, 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 we're sticking to what we said before. Everybody could agree a minimum size sukkah is the Rosh Hashanah, seven tfachim. The debate is not how do you define a minimum sukkah. The debate is when does 20 amot become a problem? The that the debate of being too high is only a debate in an absolute minimum sukkah, seven by seven tfachim. Once it's bigger, everybody would say it's okay. Why? We don't know. Let's take Tosa's explanation. It's only a problem about looking like a chicken coop. So once it's a little bit bigger, it's okay. Umar's the other says, I agree that once it's Rosh Hashanah, it's already a good sukkah. That that's the minimum size. But the debate doesn't end there. Any size from the minimum until you get to four by four, that's part of the debate because of the reason, because it's about providing shade and anything less than four by four, if it's that high, won't provide shade. 
Avo Yosem may Arba Amos. Once it's four Amos, everybody says it's kosher. So although it's reasonable to think that, you know, because we are going to see later that there is this debate what a minimum size sukkah is. Four by four amot or rosh of rubo v'shulchano. So the Gemara says, you know what, maybe they're not debating the nature of the 20 amma problem. Maybe they're just get, talking about getting to the issue about what's the minimum size of a sukkah. But the Gemara resists that because in this sugya we want to very much focus on the different reasons for the 20 amma problem determines, you know, what some of the parameters are. So therefore, we're, we want to insist that that is framing the debate. So again, what we said is, if the issue is making a, if the issue is, um, um, seeing the schach, or limitation is if the walls reach the schach, then you're okay. If the issue is providing shade, the schach has to in practice provide shade, once it's bigger than four by four amot, we're going to say it could be very high and still provide shade. Okay, let's read a little bit more. May say, I'll ask you on this. Which basically means it could be as high as you want it. So, I'm a Reb Yehuda, said Reb Yehuda. There was a story with Queen Hilni, Belowed, in Lod. Her sukkah was higher than 20 amot. And the elders went in and out and didn't say anything. They went and they were sukkah hopping. Now, it doesn't say they ate there. (laughs) But they didn't say anything there. So don't you see that you can have it higher than 20 amot? So Amr Lo, they said back to him, You want to bring a proof from that? Isha Haisab, Termina Sukkah. They didn't say she was a queen and they kept their mouths shut. She's a woman, she's exempt from the Sukkah, so why should they say anything? So Amr Lahan, he said back to them, Although Shiva Banim Havula, that she had seven sons and they were with her in the Sukkah. The old, anyway, oh, you know, she would have asked the rabbis how to build a sukkah. She was very firm. So, okay, so, Lamali the Mishni, now the Gemara interjects, why do I have to say the old, if it already said she had sons, isn't that a good enough retort? No, this is what Rebbe is saying. He told me, oh, you're going to tell me the kids were so small, they were all very young, and therefore, you know, they, they also weren't obligated in the sukkah. No. He had seven, and we're assuming they weren't septuplets. There must be one that's old enough that does not need his mother. That is the definition of when is a minor obligated from a chinuch perspective right. to sit in a sukkah. And the way the Gemara defines it later is, he doesn't wake up in the middle of the night and say, Mommy, 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 until his mother comes. Once he's that age, then he's obligated rabbinically because of Chinuch to be in a sukkah. So since they had seven, one of them must have been, you know, at the level of Chinuch. And you'll answer me back, and you'll say that's only a rabbinic thing, and maybe she wasn't, wasn't concerned about the rabbinic requirements. She wouldn't care about rabbinic requirements. No. She did everything based on what the sages said. So we're going to see tomorrow how this is relevant to our discussion about the about what the twenty amos is about. Okay, but we're going to use this issue to try to describe because we limited. We say, oh, it doesn't apply in this case. It doesn't apply in that case. We're going to use this case by Hilni to see to, to to test that theory. I should, by the way, also point out, you know, that the Gemara is doing a classic sort of like Gemara thing because obviously Reb Yehuda knew what the story of the case was. He was quoting the case to the rabbis, so Reb Yehuda would not have had to prove that the kids were of the chinuch age by the fact that they were seven. Meaning, the Gemara is proving to itself that the kids were of chinuch age because there were seven of them. Reb Yehuda actually knew the story. He knew he knew what happened, so he could have just said, yeah. Yeah, one of their kids, Chaim, there was 12 years old. I don't have to prove it because there were seven. He actually knew what the story was. But again, the Gemara is making the point that minimally there was kids that were high of Midorabanan, and therefore that is part of his argument back to the Chachamim who tried to dismiss it because she was a woman. <laughs> 